listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 416. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season two of the Norwegian Netflix fantasy series, Ragnarok. And we are at the tail end of the 4th of July holiday here in the States, and you had a busy one, I'm sure. Well, I mean, kind of. We actually had no kids around for Saturday and Sunday, both. So. Oh, Okay, I thought you were saying there was a tournament you were driving to. That's uh, tomorrow we're going down. Ah, okay. Yeah. I got you. Oh, right, no school, so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can do that sort <laughs> can, of stuff. You can do that over the summer, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've been, this will be in the past, like, five weeks, this will be the third time we've gone down to Virginia Beach for something, and which is, it's really, it's nice down there and everything, but it's also, you know, four hours away, and you know i hear you so yep but we we do what we have to you know yep so uh all right anything else uh happening in your world um no not really so yeah we got a uh you know we we we, we start a shout out to our new fan section and uh we finally cracked the jamestown new york market so cindy s thank you for being probably our one and only fan in in western new york and uh you know, keep listening to our podcast. Uh, wait a minute. You told me we were big in Western New York because oh, of I, your uh, it, time there right. at uh, oh, Canisius. Right. I was, I was thinking uh, upstate New York. We're good. Yeah. Western New oh. York. We're huge. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, glad you could join us. And for anybody who wants to send us feedback, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. You can go to the Facebook group if you haven't already. The website is sci-fi TV rewatch.podbean.com. All right. So last week I dove right in, forgot about the what we're watching segment. So I won't make that mistake this week. Uh, put we big, put this a big cool sticky note to remind you there. A- actually, I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, we watched this cool BBC supernatural horror series on Netflix titled Requiem. Mm. And just real briefly. A lot the of the words of you just t- said interest me. So, Yeah, well, it's the death of a touring cellist's mother that sends now her on this me. journey of self-discovery. And she delves into her mysterious past and that of a small Welsh town. So, you know, there's a lot to like there. And, yeah, again, it's only six episodes, I believe, eight at the most. I think it's only six. And really creepy, really, you know, good acting. And, you know, you'll see some people you know from other shows for sure. Also watched the beginning of season three of the Turkish Netflix sci-fi supernatural series, Atiyeh, The Gift, which I've mentioned on the podcast before, probably uh, after season one and season two. And I will say, and I love this about the show, the showrunner and the writers ask a lot of their audience. Okay. So, you know, they're making me go back and rewatch season two just to get my get my balance which is is definitely cool but the movie i did see that might surprise you and i i don't know if you saw it or not because it's on amazon video that's the time travel movie the tomorrow war so you did see tomorrow war i did did you see it yeah yeah so and you know i know it's it's getting some shade but 
I liked it. I thought it was an enjoyable movie. You know, like I I didn't go in there expecting to see uh, an Oscar nominated movie. I was going in expecting a pretty cool action flick with a time travel element, and that's what you got. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess what surprises me about it, and, and like you, I, I went and looked at a few reviews online, and the word trope popped up in almost everything I read, and I thought, well wait a minute and i know this is gonna you know piss off our marvel audience but i mean every marvel movie out there is basically the same story with just different characters uh, and i'm ducking i'm ducking for cover now so. all right <laughs> but you're my buddy i'll let that trope. go so yeah i know but uh, but yeah like you i enjoyed it i didn't think i was gonna like it i didn't have anything else to watch i thought all right i'll check it out and next thing i know i'm a half an hour in i'm like okay and really what got me was michael r's post on facebook that he was asked to write about right. it for den of geek because of time travel so you know anyway but uh, i certainly uh you know can see some of what you know people are are talking about you know making references to other movies and and you know whatever i enjoyed it yeah you know and i mean like the relationship between him and Yvonne Strahovski, you see that from a mile away, but it, it doesn't matter, you know? The movie, like, I don't know why, like, uh, you, uh, you can't just go to a movie to, to enjoy it. Well, you don't go sure. to movies anymore. Anyone does. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. but, you know, and this was like, like you said, is it the most artistic movie I've ever seen? Did it make me think? Uh, you know, not necessarily, but it was enjoyable the i i like the characters chris pratt is great uh at pretty much everything he's a really he's become a very very good action hero um and there was a lot of stuff that were like there was some clunkers in there but overall it was just it was a fun movie you know it was fun it was yeah. enjoyable at no point did i was i like uh when does this thing end right i don't think i even ever looked at my watch once during it you know just uh all right, cool. Anything else you want to add that you watched this past week? Yeah, uh, a couple things. So um, just really quickly, um, my wife and I finished season four of The Handmaid's Tale, and that show is it's off the rails right now, basically. <laughs> you know, in a good way or a bad way? In a very way. bad way, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't, like a lot of this stuff, we're like, this, this doesn't even a little bit, makes sense you know and i am pretty good at suspending my disbelief you know so when i'm sitting here just being like oh that's ridiculous you know it's pretty obvious it's, it's ridiculous so you know again still an enjoyable show but i think they're the writing is just really they're like floundering and yeah. when you have and actually what happens at the end of this most recent season was spoiled for me because we're sitting there watching episode 10 and I went to see if episode 10 was the last one because it was so slow and boring. And I'm like, I couldn't believe that this was the season finale. And I went and looked up and found out it was a season finale. And in the same post, thank you, a-hole, whoever you were, front ends their sentence with the thing that happened at, at the very end. I don't know. Whatever. You know, it's just, I, I said it to Jody there. I'm like, you know. That was their season finale, and it was basically people in meetings the whole time. It was so boring and slow, and I'm like, how do you end your season like that? I mean, granted, 
the the very last thing that happened was very shocking and surprising but it's like that's the last five minutes of an hour-long episode like so it was it was not great will, will i watch season five yeah because i watch with my wife and we enjoy watching together so we'll watch but, and you've yeah. come this far exactly i mean though i still haven't watched like the last like four episodes of the hundred you know I just can't do yeah, it. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well. So it's all, all right. All right what so else? Something else that I've been watching. That actually, this is kind of relates to the genre. Uh, well, so when my daughter the other night uh, wanted to watch a movie, you know, it's like you know, eight o'clock. I was already tired, so I know I'm falling asleep during this movie, no matter what. So I don't care what she picks. Don't pick something with sex or violence, too much violence in it, and we're good. So she picks Mulan too, and I'm like. Perfect. Straight to video movie. I know it sucks. It'll, I feel no, no compulsion about falling asleep during this movie. And then the beginning, you probably have never seen Mulan, right? I have not. Okay. So Eddie Murphy was the voice of the like the dragon, in it, like Mulan's friend. You know, this Disney movie, you got to have some cartoon animal friend, right? And so in the beginning of Mulan 2, the Mushu the dragon is in it again and it sounds like eddie murphy but i'm like there's no way they ponied up the cash to pay eddie murphy to voice mushu again in a video that went straight in a movie that went straight to video like there's no way so i looked it up but it did sound kind of like him so i looked it up and of course it was not eddie murphy it's actually some white guy there's probably something kind of bad <laughs> in that you know but also what i discovered is that the voice of mulan in both Mulan 1 and 2 is one Ming-Na Wen. Really? Yeah. You know, I think I did read that, and she got a star on the, uh, you know, that walk in Hollywood, or I forget what it's called. The, the Hollywood you know, Walk of Fame? About where the, yeah. Yeah. And, and I believe that was one of the pieces of work that that they brought up when they were talking about it which of course she's done tons of other stuff besides that as well right yeah but i was i was uh surprised you know cool that's really cool all right yeah so yeah i'll I'll say i have one more show but i'll I'll save for next week so okay all right well let's get to ragnarok season two episode three power to the people power to the people power to the people Power to the people. Power to the people right on. Hey, it's been a while, dude. Yeah. Nice job. <laughs> All right. Adam get, Price, this is a John Lynn song. I got to do it. <laughs> there you go. Emily Labesh K wrote this one, and they're going to end up writing all of season two. Directed by Mogens Hagedorn, who's directed the first four episodes of this season. Dropped on May 27th, 2021 on Netflix. So, you know, I, I guess one of the first things that strikes me about this episode is that it's all about allegiances that must be decided upon and who can trust whom. Uh, Fjord joins Gree's family. Loritz joins the Udals, or does he? And now it appears he's on the outs with the Udal family. But, of course, we get that shocking ending. You know, you mentioned a shocking ending in uh, right. Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I'm not sure any of us saw Vidar's death coming. But I did not. Now that we've got that, will Lars want to go back with his giant family or maybe 
stay on the sidelines, at least for the time being. So uh, I, I really like the fact that we don't have a clue as to what he's going to do. And, and his glance at his brother there at the end, I, I'm not sure it tells us anything. I mean, if I had to bet, it's the, dude, you just killed my father. Yeah. And I know the response should be, well, yeah, but he was going to kill you. Really? How do you know that, dude? We know it, but Lawrence is going to have to be convinced that right. his brother was correct, which we know he was. Sure. But. Well, and also, I mean, Magna didn't really, I mean, he showed up, but he didn't really start this fight. You know, Vidar came at him with the axe. So it's like certainly a, a certain level of, of uh, self-defense uh, involved there. But, but again, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and actually the Udals talk a lot about how all these emotions getting in the way, right? Like, obviously we could look at it very objectively and say that Magna was, you know, obviously he was in the right here and he went to save his brother and, and uh, you know, Lord should be grateful, but. That's looking at it objectively, and Lawrence is very subjectively and emotionally in the middle of this thing. Right, and he is perhaps the one that has the least amount of knowledge about what's really going on here because he certainly can't trust anything that his giant family is telling him at this point. And he, he's not really willing, I, I think, to trust his brother at, at this point. So from a narrative standpoint, it, it, it's great. And, and I love the fact that we don't have Vidar. I'm, I love Vidar's character. But now to, to be able to sit back and watch what they do with it, and, and you kind of know that the Udall women are going to start kicking ass. And well, they're the only ones names. around, right? I mean, well, is- yeah, the, the, well, yeah, I guess we'll have to see what Fjord does. Right. I, I mean, uh, it, it came as somewhat of a shock that Gree's father not only dies in this episode, that wasn't so much the shock, it's, it's how he died by mm-hmm. taking his own life. And, and Fred brings that up in his feedback, and, and obviously he's got more of a handle on how things are done related to euthanasia in Europe, and he mentions in his feedback about the Netherlands and and the approach that 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 country takes. But regardless, it does come as a shock, and you get the feeling at that dinner that he's clearly saying goodbye, yet nobody seems to really pick up on that, you know? Well, you know, but he's... seems so obvious. He's he's dying, right? So we just see that okay, you know, he's, he, he knows that this is a fatal disease. You know, there's not recovery from this. So, you know, it's, you know, doesn't seem out of line that he would have, you know, where like would telling people like, thank you and telling people that they love him, what they, you know, and everything is, is not something that's unusual we'd think, but, um, yeah, but I guess to, to, to take away his family's, you know, ability to say goodbye right. on their terms as well. It, it seems kind of cruel on one level, but I guess from a story standpoint, how is it going to affect her relationship with Fjord? You know, I mean, they, they've both lost their father, even though we know 
that Vidar's not really his father. So we'll see how that plays out. You know, as far as she knows, he doesn't get along with his father. And his father's death probably won't impact him on the same level as it's going to impact her. But again, now that the only other male in the family is out of the picture, will he you know, feel some sort of obligation to go back? I mean, is his giant inner being strong enough to overcome his love for this human young woman? Right. I guess we will see. What do you think about Lawrence and the vial of blood? Yeah, that was uh, well. As as Fred will mention, uh, you know, medically uh, that is probably don't go around grabbing other people's blood and injecting it into yours. That is that is not a healthy practice. That being said, uh, you know, obviously we're not talking about normal human to human interaction here, right? Right, and so that that obviously puts a whole wrinkle in it, uh, an additional wrinkle. The fact also that I mean, like, there's no question that they compare him. You know, we are we are obviously intended to make the connection between what he does there with the blood and like shooting up heroin. You know, sure. Um, his reaction to it was clearly one that was like. Like, it was definitely meant to make that connection there. You know, and, and that's, you know, part of what they, what the show has said about Loki is him being part giant, part God, you know, and him being excluded from the, the God club by Wotan, you know, like, I mean, I don't know. That's always been Lawrence's main thing is wanting to be accepted and part of something. And so I don't know. Right, and now it's almost as if he's going to have to beg to be included into the giant family, and they're certainly going to be reluctant to do that, particularly after what has happened to Vidar, because they're not going to initially believe his side of the story, no matter what he says. So, you know, I, I, I yeah, really at think— at this point, probably, at a quote, Animal House, we need the dues. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Vidar's death obviously is going to affect everybody in this storyline, but I think in particular Lartz and how it drives him to make a decision, you know, about his loyalty is is certainly still in play. Obviously we've got to look at what effect the demonstration at Udall Industries is going to have on the battle, because on the one hand, it, it almost seems like an afterthought. But I really think the role of the community can change the giant's worldview. I mean, you know, where are we headed with all of this? You know, we keep talking about Fjord. Is he going to return to the life he has known? Or is he ready to carve out a new path the way it seems that Saxa is also ready to carve out a new path for them? So, you know, I, I think that's fascinating. Now, the one thing I will say about the demonstration, I, I guess I don't understand the fact that some of their signs were in English. They were chanting in English. And, well, they were chanting in English part of the time. You yeah. know, they had that one catchy thing about uh, the planet. I forget there's what no it was. There's no planet B or something like that. Right. There's no planet B. But they were also chanting in Norwegian. 
And and while some of the signs were in Norwegian, I guess I thought a lot were in English. Now, I guess you could argue that they knew that there would be news cameras right. and it would at some point end up on CNN and the you know the the English speaking world would see it. So okay, I guess that that explains it. But but more to the point, I, I think that the demonstration does kind of put the Udall family and Udall Industries on notice that you might need to reevaluate what it is you're doing. And then, of course, who's going to take charge in Vidar's absence? I mean, it would certainly seem at this point it's logical that it'll be Saxa. But then if it's Saxa, why not Ron? Except would the argument be, well, she's got her hands full being principal of the local high school. So. Yeah, well, and also trying to run down families and shooting old ladies and stuff. I mean, yeah. Well, there she is that. She does a pretty busy schedule. Right. So is Fjord going to be forced to reevaluate his choice to be with Gree? Uh, if he is, it's certainly not going to make Saxa happy because she has her mind and heart set on sitting in the big chair, and she deserves it from everything we've seen sure. so again from a narrative perspective they've really set up a lot of you know good stuff to happen in the second half of this season and you know i'm really liking the six episode season i mean i wish we could get a six episode season and then maybe three months later get the next one right. instead of having to wait a full year but just the the speed with which everything transpires is just uh, really cool. Um, one yeah, thing well, about the- like, well, like you said before, you, you don't you can't have a filler episode when you've only got six episodes, right? Everything's got to be pushing along the narrative, right? And, and the one thing I wanted to mention while you were talking about the blood, you, we get that introductory little message at the beginning of the episode about uh, Odin being the father of Thor and the Foster and blood brother of loki so i guess this is the way he becomes the blood brother with uh with odin uh what right, well which is the same thing eric also mentioned so i guess and we see where he gets the idea from sure right? sure all right so I, I guess certainly one of the stories is magna's quest is unfolding and and he angrily confronts an arrogant Ron about killing wanky and and iman has to restrain him and you know i i think i think david howarth mentions it in his feedback that we're going to read a little later in the show but i also read it in reddit (laughs) i guess that's how they got the name Uh, i didn't do that on purpose but (laughs) manga has really become unlikable as a character and i don't know quite what to do with that except that there are so many other characters in the show that i really do like on both sides of the battle. So we'll see how that develops. I, I don't know if that's intentional, if that's just the actor and the, the way he acts, his mannerisms, facial expressions, whatever, but I'm not digging Magna at this point. Yeah, I, I, I have to reluctantly agree with you because I was definitely Team Magna for a long time. But I, here's what I think is, is going on. There's two things. First of all, the... the the last two episodes have been so really centered on, on Lawrence, right? Sure. That they've been really developing his character more and focusing on him, that Magna is actually becoming almost like a kind of like a secondary character in the last two episodes. Secondly, the, you know, 
his increasing thorness, I think, we see coming up because that's like what Thor is. And that's one thing I remember from, as I mentioned last week, you know, long ago reading, um, you know, some Norse mythology is how like just out of control Thor is almost all the time and how he's like this kind of like bull in a china shop and all the other Asgardian, all the other gods are like, oh, geez, here's Thor is coming by. Everyone lock everything down, you know, like he just uh, just kind of like very with a, a terrible, terrible temper. I think that's that's also part of it as well. So I, I think it's kind of those two things with the 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 writers of the show wanting him to take on more of those aspects of the god Thor, and also the fact that they're just really not giving him a ton of screen time to to develop his motivations and everything. So all we see him, and really all we've seen of him the last two weeks especially this past episode, it's just him rampaging out of control the whole time. We're like, dude, dial it back a little bit. And I agree. Like, we don't, we don't like that, right? No one likes the guy who's such a hothead, right? Like, no one likes that guy. Um, but I think he's going to – he's got it they got it because the, he's the main character. They they can't continue with, with us being not on his side right. anymore, right? They have to get the audience back on his side. And, and right now we're – not necessarily against him because, you know, like, oh, so the Udals, right? But as I said before, Ron and Saxa and Fjord are probably three of the more compelling characters right now. Right. And, and I guess on the other side of that equation is that it gives the chance for Iman to come in and be forced to try to keep him under control as she's just coming into her own powers and and coming to terms with the coming battle. So I I really love that because, again, she's really becoming a compelling character as well. But we see Isolde again. And, you know, on the one hand, it feels like a cheat to bring her back into the story, but I don't care. I I (laughs) like her as a character. I mean, the little bit that we had her back in season one. And I, I, I like how they use her as that connection and conduit to Magna in, in this battle because, you know, we're pretty certain it's Wanky that's, that, you know, is the voice behind the image. But the message to find his weapon, enlist your friends, and then we get that scene at Udelheim when he and Lawrence break in i guess you don't it's not really a break in if you have a key but (laughs) it's clear he doesn't know what the hell he's doing forging that fire uh forging the hammer in the fire and then you know it doesn't work but how does he know i guess i was waiting for him to go outside to throw it you know to see if Mm -hmm. it returned to him but of course he doesn't do that now i guess you could argue they hear uh, vidar's car in the driveway and, and that you know, stops them. And, and, and again, Fred points out in his feedback that, you know, he just had that hammer in the fire for yeah. two minutes. You know, that <laughs> backpack's not made out of uh, fire retardant material, or is it? Who right. knows? But, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a great nitpick right there. Obviously, yeah. that thing would do some pretty terrible damage to the uh, the backpack. But, but yeah, like, I guess he just kind of knows that it's not working, you know, like, he like stands there like stupidly holding this hammer in the flame 
and expecting something to happen, just nothing happens. It's just a hammer in the flame and everything. So, it, well, it, and I love Vidar's reaction. Did you think you could just forge a hammer in our living room <laughs> <laughs> and then kicks them both out? But I guess the big takeaway is that look on Vidar's face, and and you know, even Lawrence has he chosen his side now that his father kicked him out. And, and, and again, as we said at the beginning of the discussion, Lawrence just keeps going back and forth through really no fault of his own as he's just struggling, as you alluded, he, he just wants to be part of some family. And even though he should know his mother loves him and his brother loves him, I think he still feels like the outsider in, in that family. And, and we get it. It's, it's not that hard to understand. But I did like Eric, and I do like the way they're using Eric not only to be that source of information for both brothers, but kind of a love interest for mom. And, and again, what the hell is mom? I mean, we, we talked about it last time. She's given birth to a god and a giant. So there's yep. got to be more to Turid than meets the eye at this point, but sure. we don't really get any more confirmation of that here. No, no, definitely she's well. You know, and again, there, there's this point where the the person needs to realize. Well, someone's got to tell them, or you know, something has to happen when they they realize that they are unique or special, or whatever. Um, and Turid, for some reason, that just has not happened yet for her. Yeah, and when Eric tells uh, the boys that Loki was the blood brother of the god Odin and is half god, half giant, that look on Lawrence's face it, it certainly is one of not only confusion but concern, and I'm not sure what he's concerned about. I don't feel like that was any great revelation. I mean, he thought he was... A giant? Did he think he was full-blooded giant? So the fact that you found out now you're only half giant, but you're half god, that would seem to me to be a bonus, but sure. maybe not. And, and, and it's just I think you, you know just this continuing uh, you know, of this ambiguity of, of what Lawrence is all about and what he's going to do. You know, Fred talked about. We'll talk about his feedback as well. We just don't know where where he stands on this. Even after all this, as we talked about at the beginning, you know, after everything that's happened in this episode, it's just really unclear. And I think that obviously, I think that's a part of the character of, of Loki in Norse mythology. That in some stories he's an ally of the gods, in some stories he's an enemy of the gods, and everything. Ultimately, you know, again, if you look at the mythology of him, it appears that ultimately he's going to fight with the giants in the end yeah know? i mean it certainly seems that way certainly from a narrative perspective uh you would think it's going to turn out that way but you know we shall see now there is a, a great discussion going on on the facebook group about loki the tv series and i'm certainly not involved in it because i i haven't seen it at all but i can certainly get a sense that that it's a lot of people that really know what they're talking about so if you're into that show check that out but the one thing i did pick up there is the differences uh rather major differences between the marvel vision of loki versus the traditional norse mythology vision that we seem to be getting here in ragnarok so 
Yeah, that, that, that's certainly great. But, you know, you mentioned standing. The resurrection of Odin, a.k.a. Wotan, is a big part of this episode. And it happens when he puts on that bear's claw necklace. And, and again, I, I love the fact that they just immediately show us the reaction. And, and we know yeah. that something in him has been awoken. And That necklace is so metal, though, man. I would have loved him to just get up and be like i want to rock or something yeah. like that you know just to do like the the horn sign or something just like fuck yeah <laughs> well he claims he's that was like totally heavy that was like that that necklace is right out of like heavy metal rockers out of the 80s that would be totally appropriate to wear back then with a leather jacket uh no question and and that he immediately seeks out iman and tells her to call magna have him come here and Lawrence walks in with a plate of cookies which again is just an extension of that voracious appetite that he seems to have developed now that he is a giant and then all of a sudden wotan tells him that he's not welcome calls him a traitor now is this something that wotan you know has in his genetic memory that loki is always a traitor because I'm not sure how he can make that judgment call at this point, especially given what Lars has done so far, which has basically been to support his brother in, in this endeavor. So I, I don't know. But, but we, we totally get a sense, I think, as you said, of that this is a conflict that's been going on and on and, and that these gods keep popping up. You know, and these giants keep popping up. This conflict has been going on forever. So, yeah, I think it is. Like, he, Loki has always been a traitor, and he always will be. So, you know, that's because it's Loki. Just the same way that he calls Magna his son. You yeah, know? true. Like, Thor has always been his son. He always will be, even though it's a completely different kid. You know, same deal. Right. Now, I was a little disappointed that Magna doesn't stand up for his brother at this point because we don't get the sense that he has that sense of history, you know, in his consciousness at this point. So I I don't really have an answer to that, but I, I certainly was disappointed. You know, even before all that, Lartz shows his brother his new power. And, and I guess on the one hand, I like the fact that, okay, it must really hurt when he drives that screwdriver through his hand from his reaction, but he's just showing him that he will heal immediately, but still you're going through that pain. I'm like, dude, there must be another way, but okay, maybe not. Or something a little sharper, like an awl maybe, or a a pin or something, like the screwdriver, like what the hell? Yeah, just (laughs) make a little cut on your arm or something. Yeah, right? uh, Anyway, but 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 again, he admits to playing Vidar and that he's on Magna's side. And at that point in the story, we, we have no reason to doubt him. Again, I, I know we're belaboring this point, but he is a really confused individual at, at this point. And, and, and that he is an ambiguous character, as you said, is an understatement. <laughs> so we see him continue to ingratiate himself with Vidar. And now we're not sure whether this is him becoming a traitor. Is it a long game? We we know he's angling for his own key, 
presumably to help his brother, but who knows? Maybe it's just because yeah. he's hungry and they have good food <laughs> and stuff. True. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't know, but, um, you, you know, that, that rejection is what eventually leads him to take that vial of, of Wotan's drawn blood. And, I, you know, I, I didn't really think about it until you mentioned it earlier in the discussion about the, the drug addict analogy, because you, you really do see that as this, this crazed, out-of-control individual and it, it just drives that, that home even further. And, and so now, I don't, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, I can't see him aligning himself with the Utils. Is he going to just maybe kind of get in the way and wreak havoc in the battle between everybody else? And that's how he's going to get his revenge, have his fun? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, and that's, that's, I think that's what we're going to say about Lawrence this whole season. And if there are more and beyond, right. is that we just don't know. You know, we just like you said, he he seems con- as convincing uh, in telling Magna that, of course, I'm your brother. I'm on your side. I'm playing the game. And then with Vidar, we're like, he's just as convincing when he says to Vidar, "Hey, it's, yo, I'm I'm you're you're my you're my dad. I'm your son. Let's let's go. You know where they go." Shoot stuff. I can't remember what they did. Axe throwing. Oh, axe oh. throwing. Yeah, yeah let's, let's ride the motorcycles. Some, axe, and... some good father son axe throwing. Dad, what do you say? You know. So it's you know at this point, like who knows you know who the the real Lawrence is at all. Now we mentioned the demonstration at the Udall factory, and it, and it really forces the issue for the family. And you mentioned the, the whole idea of emotions becoming a problem for them. Ron tells a, a pensive Vidar that, that these emotions have gotten us in trouble. We need to return to the old ways. Kill them all, including yeah. Lawrence. And she offers, and he's like, no, I'll do it. And we believe him, which is why we know in, in that scene toward the end of the episode that he really does mean to kill Lawrence, even though Lawrence is not going to believe it. But you know, on the one hand, that tradition seems to be something that Saxa and Fjord want to get away from it. And, and there is that issue about what are the giants really trying to do relative to the human race? I know I mentioned, and I think it was David that mentions it in his feedback, might have been Fred, I'm not sure now, but th- that I'd mentioned last time about you know, basically wiping out the human race, but that's yeah, that really, I misspoke. That's really not what they're doing. But what are they doing? Is is it right. just what? I, I mean, is, are, are yeah. they just kind of, they need a place to live. Earth seems cool. We'll, uh, you know, these humans will do our bidding and we'll live a good life and do what we need to do. I mean, it, it doesn't appear as if there's any end game beyond just simply existing as gods. And, you know, I mean, at, at this point, yeah. we'll see. You know, I mentioned who's going to take charge, and we get that great scene in the office when the CFO is there again to uh, fill in Saxa. And I love, she just makes the point. She goes over, sits at Vidar's desk. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge. You're not, yep. dude. Now, whether yeah. she remains in charge, you know, because on the one hand, you would think she would have 
Ron's support woman to woman, but we don't know what their relationship is. And again, what's the deal with gender? I mean, we know they can change their appearances, but is Vidar pure male, Fior pure male, even though they can change their appearance? And and the same with the two women. We don't really know that. I, I guess we'll maybe assume that at this point and, and it could be subject to change if we get more information. But yeah, because they haven't really done anything about showing us any kind of, you know, gender crossing that yeah, I, th- I believe, as we said before, is a big part of, of Loki's mythology, but um, we haven't really seen that with the giants. And so, you know, yeah, that's, that's definitely something to kind of keep an, keep an eye on to see if they, that does become a thing. You know, it certainly seems like Saxa is, is ready to, she effectively has taken over, honestly, right? We haven't really, we haven't seen Vidar really, you know, participating in the decision-making for the company, just leaving everything up to Saxa. And so, you know, she's basically already doing it. So it's just going to kind of be official now, I think. Right, right. She has become the voice of the company and the face of the company in, in lieu of all of this, whirlwind of activity related to the pollution that the company has has caused and and we talked about at at team util she's arguing that somebody's got to make a statement and then outside with the protesters fjord grabs a megaphone and though he's right about what he says he he really throws the family under the bus as vidar and saxo watch on television Vidar just says, what's happening to us? And I think that speaks to that bigger idea that we've been talking about. Are the giants ready to make a move into the 21st century and adapt? Clearly, they've had to adapt along the way, although I guess we could argue that they're so powerful that they've forced the humans to adapt rather than them. But right. You know, we get the sense that it's it's another direction that Saxa wants to take. And, you know, even Fjord. And, and again, I mean, do we believe that Fjord really does love Gree? It seems that way. Yeah, you know? but it also seems like he's kind of chafing under this relationship. A little well, it too. does. And, yeah. And, you know, anyone and guy, girl, whatever, I think Careful we now. all recognize the that point in the relationship where someone's like oh well you know we can do this we can do this and the person's like we're going out with your parents really really that's that's you know like so you can kind of see the honeymoon phase kind of being coming to an end uh for for green fjord now then again when he gets up and takes that megaphone you know fred posits does he do that to impress Gree? Or does he do it because he is, you know, this is his his genuine feeling? And, and that's, again, uh, something I don't think we can answer at this point. Not unlike Lawrence, you know, w- what is the true Fjord, right? What, what is his real intention? What is he, you know, I mean, we get a feeling like he's, you know, quote, unquote, changed and that he really loves Gree and, and, um, and she has changed his view of the world and things like that. So, yeah, we could see that. But also, you know, I'm seeing a, a guy who 
just been alive for a long, long time and probably every now and then wants to go out with his buddies instead of, you know, spend the night, the, the evening with his uh, his girlfriend's parents and stuff. Right. And, so. and I think the thing about it is, as you said, he's been alive for hundreds of years is, is probably, you know, on, on the low side. But I, I guess I don't feel like he's had enough time to really change his ethical view about what the family has done to the town so that grabbing the megaphone, throwing his family under the bus is purely for her and, and nothing else. As you said, we don't really know, but that was the feeling that I got and, and, and the sense that I got. So we shall see. And, and all of this leads up to that culminating scene when Vidar is giving Laura it's a history lesson and at first you momentarily forget that he said that he was going to kill Lawrence. And Lawrence says, well, how are you not discovered if you've always been here? And that's when we get that great special effects. And, and mm-hmm. look, it's, it's hard to believe that Rag, Ragnarok has this huge production budget. We're, we're you know, pretty safe in saying they don't. So I thought that was pretty cool, even though it was brief. And he explains what we posited quite a while back that that when he gets old, then the son takes over and he'll you know go back and change himself to younger. And, and, you know, maybe they move from town to town. I think we said that at one time. But you know, we learn that that is their M.O., that this this core group of four has been doing that for quite a long time. The idea that the old weapons can kill gods and giants, you know, is is told to Lartz again as as a piece of foreshadowing. Again, great fight sequence. I I thought it was tightly executed. I thought you know, the the way that he takes Vidar out was brilliantly done. But I have to go back and look again. And again, I forget whether it was David or Fred that mentions what happened to the axe. Oh, Fred. Yeah, Fred said that. Was that that Fred? Okay. And and I didn't notice that the axe... I I didn't either. ...turned to dust, I guess, as well, or else it would have still been embedded in the wall. So I'll have to go back and look again (laughs) to see if that's the case. But either way, it, it was a great fight scene and a shocking ending because this is a show that just killed off one of its main characters. Yeah. And I would say it's, it's main antagonist. Yes. I mean, it's like Voldemort capped it in book two of Harry Potter. It's like WTF. (laughs) Yeah. So now we're left wondering, as we said earlier, what does Lars think? Is it that you just killed my father prepared to die or, you know, is it something else? I, I think it's going to be the former, but we shall see. Um, I like I, how you put that little Princess Bride reference there in there, go. Dave. That was so, nice. Uh, anything else you want to bring up? No, you know, I was just like, I'm just trying to imagine a protest in America where everyone is protesting in like, you know, Spanish or French or something, you know? Like, that, that, to me, that just like blew my mind. And I think it's, I, I, I assume it's, as, as you said, I mean, that if you're having a protest to, to have signs in English and, and say things and say your slogans in English, 
because um, you know it's going to be like like you said, it's going to it's going to get played on YouTube and and on you know Twitter and everything, and and so then it'll be accessible to the English speaking world. Which let's face it, I mean English is the the lingua franca of of, of you know many many countries in, in the world, right? So I, I get that, but it was still just trippy to kind of hear that. I'm like, listen, I'm like, are they? Are they protesting in English? I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know, and it's just, it also goes to how just back ass word America is in that way. Cause like no one here knows a second language and the rest of the world totally does, you know? Yeah. So it's just, uh, it, 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 it makes me ashamed even of myself as well, because I am one of those people. I could, you know, manage, you know, ordering food in French. I could probably carry on a very slow conversation in spanish but otherwise you know my skills are nothing as opposed to the rest of the world and their ability to which is often english to speak a second language all right anything else oh well just the uh the scene where um Lawrence gets in the the car with vidar and i don't is he giving the finger just to yes. magna or is he everyone just to magna i you know i wasn't sure i i, I felt like it was directed at magna why would it be directed at the protesters unless that was a sign of solidarity with his father? Well, and he, he got in the car, yeah. you know, in the middle of a protest. He uh, changes from being at the protest to getting in the car with the but, guy they're protesting against. So but, that in itself is a statement. Just figure what the hell is he thinking at this point? Yeah. So the last thing is to, uh, once, uh, you know, Vidar is, is now that he's turned to dust, do they just, Sweep him Vacuum up. Vacuum him up. And just, <laughs> right, just get the dust buster and just kind of back, walk out the door, pretend nothing happened, you know? Uh, Vidar, I don't know. Wait, I've, I haven't seen Vidar. I don't know where he is. I don't no. know. How about you? Magna, you seen Vidar? No, I haven't seen Vidar. I don't know where he is. Well, there better not be a way that they bring him back. I will be extremely disappointed. And, and to be honest, I didn't even think about it until you just said that. But so thanks. Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't. Right, I don't, I don't know if. No, let's not even bring it back. Okay, all right. All right, you want to get to the feedback? Sure. All right. Uh, Well, I mentioned David Haworth uh, posted in the Facebook group, and and I wanted to read some of what he posted there. A good start to the second season. It's probably a good thing that Iman now has a bigger role, and maybe we'll see more of Saxa. But that seems to have meant that Gree has been pushed more into the background. We'll see, but it wouldn't surprise me if Gree has now outlived her usefulness and will die, leading to Fjord fighting against his family. I have to say that for me, Magna is currently the most unlikable character in the show. Hopefully he'll stop sulking soon. After episode one, I assumed that Iman was Freya, but now I'm wondering if it's actually Turid. And... Again, the fact that we have both of them still in play is, is brilliant. Um, I, I guess if I had to place a bet in Vegas, I'd probably go with Turid at this point, but I'm not sure why. So the idea of getting a local mechanic to build Thor's hammer out of some random material was daft. I was <laughs> pleased that Wanky agreed. We don't know whether the Giants even have sexes, and if they do whether they match their human form. So it's hard to tell what's going on with Ron. It doesn't make much sense that she's jealous. As you said, she's hardly been a model of monogamy. 
It also wasn't clear why she thought it was suspicious that Magna went into what may be the only food store in town. You mentioned that Magna was trying to save the human race, and I think that was said in the show also, but is he and from what? We've seen no indication whatsoever that the Utils are trying to exterminate mankind. In fact, we may only know that they've deliberately killed one person. We've also seen nothing to even suggest that the pollution was deliberate. In fact, the opposite. Is every CEO of a company that's polluted, in fact, trying to kill everyone? Probably not. But for some reason, Magna seems obsessed with wiping out the entire race of giants. There could be a term for that. Yeah, I believe um, there is, yeah. You know, I, I want to go back to you know, w- what he said about the giants and the gender matching their human form and, and you know, uh, you know, we get the sense. I mean, we, we know they're not husband and wife in the traditional sense, but we do get the sense that they have a sexual relationship. I mean, she certainly dresses provocatively enough at home <laughs> to indicate right. to me that there, there's something going on between the two of them. So whether that's true or not, we don't know. But, you know, I, I'm going to go there. Which then got me to thinking, all right, well, since Fjord and Saxa actually aren't brother and sister, but but the two of them, they just have this, this you know, sibling dislike for each other that's, you know, it's not really maybe that deeply rooted, just the, the you know, the, the period where all siblings probably, you know, I hate you, stay out of my room and whatever, but... You know, I, I don't know, but you get the sense that, that that is something that is part and parcel to their relationship. Again, maybe I'm reading too much into that. Maybe I'm seeing too many other shows that, that play up that idea. But, right, uh, right. Anyway, um, anything else? You hey, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's something that's, that's certainly on the table, though, you yeah. know, like we, right. that they've done enough to set up for something like that. And, you know, it's possible. I would just say with like uh like is every CEO of a company trying to kill everyone? Um no, but I don't think it's it's that. I think it's just the indifference. Yes. Right? I think it's just the making money and not caring about anything that gets in the way with the the bottom line and everything. So so are they actually trying actively to kill everyone? No. Are, do they not give a shit? Well that's exactly what Fior said. Right. You know? during the protest it's not that they're they're trying to kill people it's just they don't care right that their actions have deadly consequences for other people right and he brings home the point that when you hold all the power it's incumbent upon you to be responsible and i feel like saxa feels the same way which then goes back to my idea that that you know we're going to see the giants perhaps you know change as they move into the 21st century so, all right, well, let's hear what Fred's got for us this week, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Ragnarok Season 2, Episode 3. Heavy episode, two people dead. Well, we could expect Grease's father to die, especially when he made this special dinner and was thanking everybody. We did see that he would die probably and also when he announced that he didn't want to die in a very bad way 
deterioration, etc., etc. You could have expected this, so suicide. In such cases, I would prefer a medically guided euthanasia in which you have the chance to probably say goodbye to your family and that it's not a shock like this. But I know in many countries that's not acceptable nor possible. I'm very happy to live in the Netherlands and that I had the possibility to help and guide my 88-year-old mother in this process, preventing more human unworthy suffering. The second death, and this one I didn't see coming, was Vidar's death. I have a question there, perhaps a nitpick. So when Magna is throwing him against the wall where this ancient axe is on the wall, we see Vidar die and crumble into dust. But where is the axe? Where is the weapon that was sticking in the wall? I had the idea it was gone as well. I really wonder what Vidar's death will do with Fjord's position. Will he become the head of the family or will his more or less acceptance of Magna become quite different? Actually, there is a parallel between Gree and Fjord. They both lose their father, although in the case of Fjord you really can question if Vidar is his father. I found Fjord taking the megaphone and address the protesting uh, people a little bit unlikely, but okay. And does he all mean it or is it just to show off towards Gree? A small nitpick was when Magna put his hammer into the fire and he put it back in this backpack that the backpack doesn't burn or melt. Most of these backpacks are of a synthetic fabric. Why is Vidar showing Lauritz before he wants to kill him all this giant history? Or is that just for himself to build up to the killing he actually didn't want to do? Of course, the big question is what will be the effect of Lauritz, a.k.a. Loki, injecting himself with Wotan's, a.k.a. Odin's blood? In real life, this would give an immense immune response, and uh, I don't think it's quite healthy, unless Wotan has the same blood type as Lauritz. Very nice special effects, by the way, how they made Vidar look old just in a few seconds, and also how he crumbled into dust. Very good CGI for a television show. And not only the axe disappeared, but also his clothes And actually that was the same in the case of Bentje. But I think that is a standard genre uh, thing, that if you fall apart into dust, that everything disappears. And mostly there is a little wind that blows the dust away, even. And of course, in the last scene, is Lauritz angry, vengeful with Magna that he killed his newly found father? Or actually that he saved his life. But I have the feeling Lawrence is not too happy. Although Vidar did threaten him. And actually Magna saved his life. And actually not only Gree and Fjord and Saxa lost a father. But also Lawrence lost a father. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Um, yeah, he mentions Magnus backpack, which is where, you know, I got that idea because it didn't occur to me the first two times I watched the episode that, wait a minute, that backpack should have melted. 
I definitely agree about the CGI for this show. And, and, yeah, that was know, great. The, the turning to dust was good. And, and again, the fight scene, those are not easy to orchestrate, uh, particularly a show that doesn't have an unlimited budget. I mean, you look at a show like Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and they've got a big budget, so they can you know, take a whole day to work on a fight sequence that might only last a couple minutes. But a show like Ragnarok doesn't have that luxury, I wouldn't suspect. So, you know, we'll see. And and again, you know, the big question, what is Loritz going to do now that his father's been killed by Magna? And, and, you know, I I think that's maybe the key point that that I would think the next episode will address. I mean, if not right away, certainly at some point. I mean, they have been going from – the end of one episode seamlessly into the next. So I suspect mm-hmm. that'll happen with four as well. But, uh, but yeah, we're on the back end and, and uh, I had a hard time not watching four after seeing Vidar uh, bite the big right. one there. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, just one thing I, I did look up. It appears that, um, you know, uh, Fred was wondering about euthanasia in Norway and it looks like passive euthanasia is legal there which means like you a doctor can um withhold treatment from a person who who wants to to die but they can't do the like you know the active physician assisted uh suicide stuff euthanasia i should say all right well fred thank you for the feedback david thank you for the post and facebook great stuff as always um i'm not quite ready to go a minus but a solid b plus at oh, least. I was actually going to give this an A minus. Were you? Okay. Well, yeah, I like this one, okay. but but we can we can meet B plus. Well, it yeah, always yeah, gives yeah. a chance to move up for future episodes. Well, okay, I'll, I'll give it some more thought by the time I you know do the write up <laughs> for the uh, for the blog post. But, you know why? Uh, I think probably I was just so blown away by the end of the episode. Yeah, I'm yes. like, yes. wow. You know, I right. definitely graded up after that last scene. Right. But I think overall it was pretty good. There's a lot of cool stuff happening in there, and like, like Fjord, uh taking that megaphone was. I thought that was a really great scene, and you know the 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 both the shocking of Vidar's death and, and of uh, Greece's father as well. Both of those are were very shocking, and I, I didn't see those coming. So right, um, and even you know. though Gree's father has not been a, a central character, we know his death is going to have a huge impact on the actions of certain characters as we move forward in the story. So yeah, like you. Yeah. All right. You're, you're convincing me. I'm, I'm okay. I'm seeing the a minus for sure, <laughs> but, uh, all right. Uh, any final thoughts or, uh, you want to close it out here? I think, I think we're good. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Ragnarok, anything going on in your genre world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't. There's some great stuff, especially about the Loki TV series. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to talk about Season 2, Episode 4 of Ragnarok. But until then... You know, Dave, I think we've both been getting kind of charged up recently on this podcast. I think it's time to dial it back now and just rate from here on out, enough with the emotions now. <laughs>